We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. We're talking coaching changes in the Jared Goff Matthew Stafford trade on Roto Viz Radio. Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by Matthew Friedman of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. Some news items have come out as of late that we have yet to discuss. I know Matt is probably going to be super pumped about us talking about Jalen Hurts. But first, Matt, let's talk about the Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff trade. As everyone knows, we have Matthew Stafford now heading to the Rams. 
to be the quarterback for Sean McVay. On the flip side, we have Jared Goff now departed from L.A. Uh, who do you want to start with? Uh, I think let's start with Stafford. It seems like people are a little more interested in, in what's going to be happening with him and sure. that Rams offense in general. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he will. So some people are asking, you know, does this make Stafford kind of low end QB one viable? I think Stafford's, you know, probably mid range QB two. Um, I'd say the better version of, you know, what Goff was when Goff was at his best, probably something like that with maybe a little more upside. I don't, uh, I don't think it's going to really impact Cam Akers much either way. Um, maybe the offense is a little bit better. And so there could be more touchdown opportunities for Akers. And, you know, maybe if the offense is better, that just means carries later into the game for Akers. So, uh, I mean, I think all of that's good, but I don't, I don't think it really changes much in terms of his projection. And I don't know if it really changes all that much for Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Uh, maybe you bump them up each a little bit. I think the guy who gets a significant bump is Tyler Higby, um, but that has more to do with the expected departure of Gerald Everett. Um, but I think this year overall, we're going to see a, a bump for Higby. Uh, and certainly with Stafford there, maybe that means there's just more passing production to go around. And if there are fewer tight end snaps to compete for, uh, I think that means good things for Higby. Nice. Uh, just to give a little bit of perspective, too, on Stafford uh, from a fantasy lens, he's kind of had an odd last five years. So if you go back to 2016, finished number 10 in PPR uh, per game, then 2017, 8 in PPR game uh, per game, 2018 jumps up to 31st, recovers in 2019, finishes number 2, then 2020 finishes number 20. Four. Now, of course, in 2019, uh, he had only played eight games, but it was on this ridiculous pace. Comes back in 2020. Kenny Galladay had some health issues. We know that there's going to be a new coaching staff there. Um, so that kind of speaks to the type of situation that Stafford was in in 2020. You know, an offense that was not firing on all cylinders. Um, I do think that uh, Stafford can be a QB1 Um I'm not sure, though, that this move, you know, elevates him to a point where he becomes a quarterback that you have to go after and draft. Um, The one thing I'm wondering, Matt, is do you think that it's possible that the Rams offense takes enough of a step forward that we see a third wide receiver get into the mix, maybe a Van Jefferson? Uh, Do do you see that on the horizon? or Do you think that that's kind of a stretch to, to hope that we get to that point? That feels like a little bit of a stretch um, because even, you know, think of like the, the quote unquote glory days for the Rams when they had Sammy Watkins there uh, and then Brandon Cooks, you still never really saw three wide receivers together really do all that well. Um, you know, either two of them would do well and then one would take a step back or, you know, two of them would, would be healthy and one would be injured. So, you never saw three of them at a time. And that's kind of why I think Higby becomes a little more of the third guy where the production that goes to him really could make a difference uh, compared to other tight ends. But if there's, sorry, if there's a wide receiver who emerges, I don't know if it really makes a difference there because he's still, I think a pretty distant number three. Yeah, that's, that's more or less where I am. Um, Let's flip over though. Now let's talk about Jared Goff. 
What are your uh, expectations for him kind of un, <laughs> you know, untethered now to Sean McVay? Uh, I mean, I think it's a really bad situation. Um, part of it is, so new team, um, new coaching staff. It's not just that he's going into a, a new team, but it's a team that's totally settled. It's a brand new coaching staff with Dan Campbell, who uh, has this Neanderthal type of mentality. Um, I mean, I can just imagine him wanting to establish the run all game long. The offensive coordinator is Anthony Lynn, and that doesn't really inspire much confidence. And then on top of that, their top two wide receivers are gone. Kenny Galladay is a free agent. Maybe they, they re-sign him or franchise him or whatever, but it looks like he wants to leave. And then Marvin Jones is also a free agent, and he really seems like he wants to leave. So, <laughs> I mean, who knows what they're doing at the wide receiver position? They, they will, I mean, they might have to take a wide receiver at number seven overall. I think, yeah, I think they're going to. I think they, they really yeah. might have to. Yeah, but, and then, but, but some people are also saying, you know, like relatively sharp mockers, some of them are, uh, you know, projecting a quarterback to the Lions at number seven. Oh boy. You know, so like who, who really knows what's going to happen? And even if they draft a quarterback at number seven, I think that guy, you know, starts the season on the bench, but that doesn't mean that, you know, if Goff is really bad, if this offense is really bad, they don't elevate that rookie at some point. I'm just saying there are a lot of unknowns here. Um, But the one thing that is known is that Goff, when he hasn't had McVay, or even when he has had McVay, like there are some points when he's looked really bad um, and hasn't looked as if he's been super aggressive. Um, I don't know. You put him in the situation where he doesn't have established wide receivers. There's not an established offense in place. Uh, I mean, I, I don't imagine I will have Goff on any team this year. Yeah, I think the the general kind of context that you get when considering Goff is that he appears to be a quarterback that if you put him into the right situation is competent enough to at least function and make that offense run. He's not going to be great, but maybe can help the team get the job done. But it seems like you take that away and then there are a lot of question marks now stacked on top of other question marks. Um, I think that if you're in super flex leagues, then Goff might make his way into consideration, um, you know, as a later option. Um, But you definitely need to view Jared Goff through a different lens than you would have when he was in L.A. I think the one interesting thing that we are left with in Detroit now, as you alluded to, on top of just trying to figure out what that offense might do, is the pickup that TJ Hawkinson should get in target share with these other names likely gone. He's one of the more established players. We saw him take steps forward last year. So I think you can make a pretty compelling case for TJ Hawkinson, even in the confines of an offense that might be garbage. Yes. Okay. So a couple of things. One, you mentioned maybe Jared Goff in two QB leagues. Do you take Jared Goff before uh, Matthew Stafford? No, no. No. Okay. No. And Stafford is probably going as a high-ish end QB2, but maybe a little more in that mid-range QB2 range. Like Daniel Jones, do you take him before Jared Goff? No, I don't think so. And the reason... Really? Yeah, but okay. I, I think the reason why, Matt, is that Daniel Jones, 
I think that the rushing production can bounce back a little bit, or you might be able to, you know, squeak out some weeks here and there because he manages to punch one in with his legs. Whereas Goff, I'm just worried that this offense could just be so inept that it doesn't even matter if Goff is playing great. Um, you know, not that the Giants have this tremendous situation either, um, but at the current point in time, I'm saying Daniel Jones. May, you know, maybe if you know something happens. Okay, the, sorry. Yep. Are you saying you take Daniel Jones before Jared Goff or no? Um, I guess let me put it like this. If I'm playing on best ball, I don't know if I have best ball teams, maybe I'm going like 45% Jones, 55 golf. If they were the only two quarterbacks I could take. Okay. I would take Daniel Jones before Jared Goff Cause I think there's a chance that Goff gets benched at some point. Yep. And I think that's least likely or less likely with Daniel Jones. I'm taking Kirk cousins before Jared Goff. I'm taking, Probably, oh man, Baker Mayfield yep. ahead of Jared Goff. Yep. Uh, I mean, assuming there's no like immediate quarterback controversy, I'm probably taking Jimmy Garoppolo ahead of Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just saying almost every quarterback I can think of, I'm wanting to take that guy ahead of Jared Goff. Yeah. So I, I've actually started playing in some best ball leagues. The thing that I have seen so far is that people actually are pretty keen on going for Matthew Stafford. I think the one that I'm in currently Stafford actually was like the eighth or ninth quarterback off the board. Oh, that's just, that, that feels ridiculous. Yeah. Goff did right. not come to later. Uh, but to your point, like for me, cousins is substantially higher or like I would take him a couple, you know, rounds earlier than some of the players that I think are in the sphere of Goff. So I'm with you. There's a lot of names ahead of him. Yeah. Okay. And then you mentioned TJ Hawkinson. And I do think that Hawkinson will get a surge in targets. That said, it's still hard to bump him above a number of guys, right? You obviously, Kelsey is going number one. Hawkinson is still, I think, pretty far behind Kittle and Waller. I think he's still behind Mark Andrews. And I would even have him behind Dallas Goddard, who has really flashed when he's had the opportunity to be the number one tight end. I think there's a good chance he's the number one tight end with Zach Ertz, you know, potentially being traded, being cut. Um, There's wide receiver uncertainty. um, And so Goddard could get even more targets this year. I just, I have Goddard ahead of Hawkinson. So I have Hawkinson number six right now, which doesn't feel as if it's like all that high for the upside that he has but I still just can't put him above those five other guys. Yeah. Um, you didn't mention Noah Fant, did you? No, so, I have Fant after Hawkinson. Okay. Um, then the other thing that I think is curious, you know, you'd asked me a couple of seasons ago where I thought Evan Engram would be. I would have been telling you I'd be surprised if at this point in 2021 he wasn't in a conversation of those players. How far back has Engram slipped from a player like Hawkinson? Uh, pretty significantly because he wasn't getting targets. And then even at the end of the season, when he was starting to get more targets, he wasn't really all that efficient with them. And, you know, it just seems as if New York is pretty down on him right now. And as long as he's in that, like Jason Garrett offense, which just looked really bad last year. Um, and as long as he's having to compete with, uh, other, other wide receivers, I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's viable. Got it. So let's move on to perhaps the most exciting thing to come out of the news that we've had uh, in the past couple of months, and that is Carson Wentz getting traded to the Colts, which lays the runway, Matt, for Jalen Hurts to have that secured QB1 position. 
I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't end up with it. I think we saw some really exciting things from him to end last year. We know that he's a player that has this tremendous rushing ability. I think that he is a player you should be going after in drafts, unlike the reaching that we're going to see with Stafford. I know you're excited too. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just um, for fantasy. I mean, I'm I'm looking now at DraftKings Sportsbook, and maybe like 10 days ago, you could get Jalen Hurts at, I believe, 125 to 1 to win MVP, which like, I'll just say like, he's not likely to, but of course that's like, that's priced in. So he was 125. I believe Davis Maddock bet him there. I bet him at a hundred to one. Uh, and then now he's 70 to one, you know, like his odds are going to continue to get shorter. I think the closer we get into the season, because he is very much uh, in the mold of these guys, especially, and they've been late round quarterbacks, you know, think of Patrick Mahomes, as a late round quarterback in 2018, Lamar Jackson in 2019, Josh Allen in 2020, like Jalen hurts is that kind of player. And like, not that kind of player in terms of like, I'm not saying he's, he's Patrick Mahomes. Like he doesn't have that type of ability, but uh, very much like Lamar and Josh Allen and that he has the rushing ability his passing ability isn't there. So maybe he's not as good of a like quote unquote real life player, but maybe he improves in his second season. His rushing upside as a fantasy asset is more than enough to make up for his shortfallings. Um, the good thing is that he's relatively cheap. So it's not as if you're having to uh, expend a lot of draft capital to get him. It makes him more or less kind of like a, an option in which there's massive upside and not much downside Uh, So it's the perfect scenario. And again, like maybe he really does improve this year. You know, like we've seen Josh Allen improve as he's been in the league. Um, And if the improvement doesn't come, maybe he's just Lamar Jackson, which I, I mean, maybe he's not Lamar Jackson. Maybe he's like a step down from Lamar Jackson. But even if he's a step down, that is still really good. And one thing that I think people aren't really taking into account is that he was much better as a passer last year than people would have expected. Now he granted, he did not complete a high percentage of his passes, but there should be some context that's given to that. And Mike Clay uh, of ESPN did a tweet thread on this. Uh, You know, people should check that out. Um, But part of it is that when a lot of quarterbacks, especially like non runners, you know, like your pocket bound passers, when they don't have passes further down the field available, they will dump it off. And so those short, easy completions end up moving their completion percentage up. Uh, For Jalen Hurts, he wouldn't throw those passes. He would just run the ball, which, you know, as fantasy players, we want to see that because that gives us more points. But that means that his overall completion percentage doesn't look as good as it would if he took some of those easier completions. That said, in his second and third NFL starts, he still passed for over 300 yards. He still has like a significant passing ceiling to go along with the rushing potential that he has. Uh, And he had in his, let me see, in his three starts, he had 18, 11 and nine carries, 106 yards, 63 yards, 69 yards. Like he has a significant rushing floor that can skyrocket into a rushing ceiling. So, I mean, I'm, I'm all aboard Jalen Hurts. I love it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I agree with everything you just said. We had talked about Hertz. Um, I think you know maybe in the last month or or two liked him. Then obviously with this now cemented, we're really happy. Uh, a question now on the Carson Wentz side: Can he bounce back in Indianapolis? Give me your quick thoughts about uh, Wentz from a football perspective, real life, and then from a fantasy perspective. Because one thing that I actually pointed out um, in a tweet last week was, if you look in the last three years at Wentz's percentage of games being a QB1, he was actually at 56%. As a point of reference, uh, Matt Ryan was beneath that. I think that Kirk Cousins was at just about the same level. And I think even Russell Wilson was like right at that range too. So though we're not thinking about Wentz as this type of passer that um, I'm going to be like excited if he's on my team, I do think that uh, he's a player that is going to be somewhat relevant in a lot of uh, super flex leagues. Yeah, I I don't think he's going to end up as a QB1, although that's possible. I think he's likelier to be in that QB2 range, which which makes him certainly relevant. Um, and assuming he plays, you know, like maybe he misses one game with injury, whatever, assuming he plays around 15 games. Yeah. I think he will be in the QB two conversation. Um, and you know, probably 4,000 ish yards passing, like in a Frank Reich offense, that's pretty typical. Uh, so there's like nothing, there's nothing bad about it. And I guess if you think that 2020 was something of an aberration, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably worth having some speculative investment. I'm a little bit skeptical, not, not so much because of Wentz, because I do think we will see a better Wentz this year than we saw last year. Like last year he was horrible. I think we should just naturally see some positive regression, but no T Y Hilton, presumably he's a free agent. And I kind of don't know why they would resign him. So there's uncertainty there in terms of like who's going to be the number one wide receiver. Will one of those guys develop? Will Michael Pittman develop in his second season? Paris Campbell, will he be healthy in his third season? Uh, So, you know, there are just questions about the wide receiver group. And, you know, even though it feels like they have like an unlimited number of tight ends there, they really don't have any tight ends. Uh, Like at least no one who is incredibly established and is like, yes, this guy is a real weapon. They just have three veterans that they're rotating in and out. And they might be a little more focused on the run this year than they have been in previous years because they have Jonathan Taylor. So you, you put all of that together and there is the recipe potentially for a fairly middling low end QB two type of season where it's not that Wentz does anything wrong. It's just, he doesn't have playmakers around him and then he's in an offense that is focused on running the ball. Man, the NFL is such a crazy uh, league, isn't it? You know, you go back a couple of years, Philadelphia fans super excited about Wentz, gets this huge contract. You know, a couple fast forward a couple of years, he's moved on. And, you know, there's this question of can he even, you know, like lead a team, which is interesting. Um, but I, like I said, I think he's actually going to be okay. I don't think it's a situation that lends itself to him being in the in the QB1 conversation. Not to say that that, you know, there's a non-zero chance, right? That So, like, it's possible we see him finishing in there. But the other note that I want to bring up in relation to Wentz going to Indianapolis is that the player that actually might get impacted by this the most could be Naheem Hines. Because we know that Philip Rivers has a propensity to check down 
utilize the running back uh, in the passing game. To be fair, in 2018, Hines did generate 81 targets, 58 in 2019, 77 in 2020. But I have not gone through my projections, but I feel like it's going to be hard for me to get Hines back to that 77 number. One of the reasons being, as we mentioned before, the Colts need to keep Jonathan Taylor on the field. And then in situations where Hines is in, it seems less likely to me that now that he's getting looks with Wentz in there as opposed to Rivers. So he's the player that I see likely being the most impacted. In terms of other players on the team, and you can disagree on that Hines point if you want, uh, how much of a step back or how much of a step forward is this in their potential, given the fact that Wentz will be throwing the ball to them and not Phillip Rivers? Um, I don't I don't think it factors in much either way. Um, yeah. We should see, again, with uh, T.Y. Hilton presumably being gone, we should see Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell take a step forward in targets, but that was going to happen anyway. It's hard to know what's going to happen at tight end. You know, Trey Burton, Jack Doyle, Mo Ali Cox, like who really knows out of those three if any of them will emerge. So I'm not focusing too much on them. Um, as you mentioned, I think it's a good point. Naheem Hines seems likely to have fewer targets coming his way. Although, if it's a situation where neither one of the wide receivers in, uh, in Pittman and Campbell, if neither one really takes a step forward, they might have more of a running back focused offense where uh, Taylor and Hines uh, continue to be targeted at a pretty high rate. Um, I think the offense really just runs through Jonathan Taylor though. And uh, you know, with the, the pass catchers pretty much de-emphasized. Yeah, that's a really fair point, actually, that I hadn't even considered yet. Um, so we'll also have to see, you know, what the team does in the draft. You know, maybe they do try to add a receiver. To- We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get, uh, you know, some players behind Wentz. But let's take a quick pause here, Matt, and we will be back in a minute. Hey, Rotoviz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12 month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO21. That's RVRADIO21, and you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Okay, we have talked about um, Urban Meyer in the past. Um, You know, as everybody knows now, he will be the Jaguars head coach. I'm going to take us on a bit of an aside here, Matt, because I own DJ Chark on a dynasty team, and I have been getting a lot of offers for Chark. I think that this has to likely relate to people speculating that you bring in Trevor Lawrence, you pair him with Urban Meyer, and maybe we see a bit of an offensive explosion uh, in Jacksonville. I'm questioning now. It seems like the market seems like Chark's price is moving up. In terms of dynasty picks, what do you think his value should be? Is he a first rounder? Is he a second rounder? Is he multiple second rounders? What do you think? I mean, I'd be surprised if he's a first rounder. Um, A second rounder feels like about the right price. And part of that is maybe just because I don't really value shark all that much um where where are you on that (sighs) you know i'm i'm if i'm valuing him for picks as somebody that owns him uh i think that a second rounder is probably where his value should be as an owner though it's hard for me to say because the teams that i have him on are teams where i have a lot of wide receivers um and they're very wide receiver heavy but they're also teams that because those receivers are so strong, um, I don't really feel like I need to make a lot of moves um, like in terms of like grabbing picks. Like I'd rather make moves and trade for veterans. So if I could move Chark and like on some of these teams, I do need a running back. I would consider doing it. Um, I guess that's my long way of saying that I feel like a, a second rounder is probably right. Because, you know, maybe there is this chance that he moves ahead a lot. I don't think there's a huge probability of that. And I think it's likely that um, we're probably at the point in the market where you're able to get, you know, like a fair trade brokered involving him uh, for both sides. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's fair. I mean, the one thing to keep in mind, and this is why uh, people are probably going after him is that um, he is in a new situation. So there is more unknown. There is more volatility. Uh, In theory, he has more upside than he would be uh, in possession of if it were just the same situation as last year. So potentially you can get more for him. And and maybe in actuality, he actually is worth a a low first rounder. Yeah. So we will have to see. Um, just, Just wanted your quick thoughts there. So, other coaching changes, Matt. Uh, The Jets have hired former San Francisco defensive coordinator, Robert Sala. Um, He will now be taking over for New York. That's a tough project, I have to feel like. Any quick thoughts on uh, how this relates to fantasy? I can't remember. Who is their offensive coordinator? Oh, Mike Mike LaFleur. Yep. Okay, yeah. Uh, I have no opinion. Because, like, we really don't know what to expect out of Mike LaFleur. Um, maybe, you know, like, coming out of that uh, that Shanahan tree, like, maybe he has an offense that is pretty similar and he does a, a good impersonation of the guy that he's worked under. But we really don't know for sure if that's the case. So, 
I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's entirely hard to know what to expect. Um, especially because we don't know who their quarterback is going to be. Um, we don't really know uh, what is happening at wide receiver. There are reports they might cut Jamison Crowder. Rashad Perryman is a free agent. I mean, we don't know what's going on at running back. We just, we know nothing about yeah. the Jets. So, I, I mean, I haven't even bothered to try to make projections for the team yet uh, and, until we get at least through free agency and have a, a better sense of who's going to be there. Yeah, for sure. So I think we can move off of them. The Atlanta Falcons um, have named uh, former Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith as their next head coach. Uh, you know, an interesting career for uh, for Smith. Um Started off with Washington in 2007, spent some time um, then in college at Ole Miss, bumps over to the Titans, kind of moves to different positions, ultimately ends up um, as a offensive coordinator there and was, in many people's opinion, responsible for a big step forward that the offense took. You know, maybe it helps having Derrick Henry um, in that offense, but did some good things there. We now see him moving into Atlanta with Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. Is he going to help take this uh, offense back to places that we may have seen it, you know, a couple of years ago? Or do you think that we kind of hold flat in Atlanta? I'm kind of skeptical that um, they take a big step forward. One, you know, one of the things is that in Atlanta, sorry, in, uh, in Tennessee, as you mentioned, they've had Derrick Henry. And so they've had a very run focused offense not that you really need a like uh, an earthly running back like Derrick Henry to have a run focused attack, but it certainly helps. And they don't have that right now uh, in Atlanta. And so, you know, there are questions: What are they going to do with the running back position? But as long as they have Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, and uh, I mean. I guess you can even add Hayden Hurst in there. I don't think he's like a massive positive, but he's, I'd say like at least an average tight end. As long as you have those guys, I think the offense should probably be pretty good. Um, Maybe even if they run a little bit more, the passing game will be more efficient because they will do more play action. Uh, They've had great success in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill doing uh, a lot of play action. I could see Matt Ryan being pretty good at that. So, I think that, that offense will still be good. One thing that is kind of weird is that if you look at a lot of the like relatively sharp mock drafts, um, you will see, and I think this is wrong, but I mean, other, other sharp people are putting this out there. So maybe I'm wrong. You will see a lot of, uh, of drafters putting a quarterback to the Falcons at number four. And that just seems really weird to me, considering that Matt Ryan is still there. There's not, there's not a massive like emergent need to replace Ryan. Uh, but if they do take a quarterback at number four, then I feel like that throws the offense into not disarray because Ryan should still start the season as the starter. But you know, like hanging over that offense will be the specter of the rookie quarterback who might come in in any given game. So that is, I think, the biggest thing to pay attention to. What do they do at number four? Yeah, so a little context here. Matt Ryan is 35. He's signed um, 
in a fashion that gives him, you know, twenty six and a half million of dead cap space in twenty twenty two, and then eight point six in twenty twenty three. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that the team does add a quarterback, but it's also, you know, I think equally possible that they they wait another year before they try to address that. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers named Brandon Staley, uh, former Rams defensive coordinator, to be their next head coach, replaces Anthony Lynn. Any quick thoughts there, Matt? Okay, so the new offensive coordinator for the Chargers is Joe Lombardi, and we really kind of don't know what he's going to be doing. Uh, Like Maybe he tries to run uh, an offensive system that's similar to the Saints, but, I mean, I feel like only the Saints – can really run that uh, in part just because they've had so much continuity at, uh, you know, at offensive, you know, basically like play calling head coach in Sean Payton. And then of course, in quarterback with Drew Brees. So I don't, I don't really know what to make in terms of like the system or what the new, the new regime is really going to be doing. But I mean, I figure as long as you have Justin Herbert, as long as you have Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams is still there. You have Austin Eckler, who's one of the best pass-catching backs in the league. That offense should still be really good. Um, and that's even if Hunter Henry at tight end leaves. He's a free agent. I kind of don't even care if he leaves. Honestly, like I'm sort of hoping that he does, and maybe they sign like Johnny Smith, or uh, maybe they, they draft a tight end uh, who's intriguing, you know, something. But either way, I think that offense is going to be good. It's just hard to know exactly what it's going to look like. Yeah, and you know, I think the the other point there is we we think that Justin Herbert's really good, but um, you know, some of the things that you might have been doing with a player like Drew Brees in that offense, who's almost in in some respects like a, having a coach out on the field, you might not be able to do just yet. Um, we talked about the Lions earlier. You mentioned Dan Campbell would be their next head coach. I think that we we talked about that enough. What about Philadelphia now? Uh, Nick Sirianni, their new head coach. Um, used to be an offensive coordinator for the Colts. I, I really, um, you know, don't have much of an opinion here, so I'm, I'm interested to see what you think, Matt. Okay, so again, like we just sort of don't know what to expect. Uh, Shane Steichen is the offensive coordinator now for the Eagles. Um, he was the offensive coordinator last year for the Chargers, uh, and then their QB coach before that. But I mean, that offense was still basically being run uh, by the head coach. Um, Anthony Lynn. So it's not a situation where we have a wealth of knowledge on what Shane Steichen is going to do, especially because the quarterback situation, although I think it will be Jalen Hurts, is still like a little bit uncertain. So um, really not much to say about Nick Sirianni, um, especially because he is kind of an unknown. Fair enough. And then just to close things off, the Texans, wonderfully run organization, um, hired former Ravens assistant head coach David Kelly as their new head coach. It's really hard to even talk about what's going to happen here until we know where the chips fall with Deshaun Watson. Matt Kelly, I believe, or no, excuse me, not Matt Kelly. That would be an interesting thing. Tim Kelly, I believe, is the new offensive coordinator. Yeah, we really have, like, as you said, like nothing to say about this because um, we just do not know what's going to be happening with Deshaun Watson. And he's the guy who ultimately uh, matters most. Um, So, yeah, I mean, nothing really to say about Tim Kelly as offensive coordinator or David Coley as the, the new head coach.
Yeah, this is not <laughs> not a great situation for Houston. These are bad hires. I'll yeah. just say that. These, these are not good hires. Yeah, no, not at all. And then uh, this, this job is looking like it's only going to be made tougher via everything that's going on with Watson. And then, of course, you have J.J. Watt leaving, um, which actually, you know, we, we don't like to get too far into narrative things, but I would imagine on some level in that team, in that locker room, he was a player that was kind of holding together some of the threads that uh, probably needed to be held together for the last couple of years. So definitely an organization in flux. All right. Well, Matt, I think that that does it for this episode. Uh, reminder to everybody out there listening to please rate and review, subscribe to the show. You can reach us at rotovisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Rotoviz for sponsoring the show. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.